0: Last episode, you may have heard Kevin say, "Local historians have all the good stuff." So we invite you to sit back and let one regale you with the stories of Weston, Missouri. One of the treats about going down the trail was the many local historians we met along our way. Fond memories of sitting at their feet and hearing tidbits most folks will never know. We were fortunate enough to have Sandy Miller, author and historian, come to our campfire and sit with us and a group of scouts a little bit, sharing her knowledge of Western Missouri. We sat up my computer on a chair, put a headset on her, and were fortunate to capture the stories she so willingly shared for our benefit that evening. I was sad to discover that Sandy passed away in 2013 snippets of her obituary paint a picture of the passion she had for the Weston and the history of the area. Sandy was born September 24, 1943, in Leavenworth, Kansas. After moving around, eventually Sandy returned home and established her family in Weston, the town she loved dearly. Sandy married Ronald Lee Miller on May 14, 1960, in Weston, and together they established their home in what became known as Miller's Cottage. Sandy dedicated her life to the history of Weston. Her many endeavors included emeritus of the Western Historical Museum, promoter of many home tour events, historical columnist for the Weston Chronicle, as well as other newspapers, past president of Weston's Chamber of Commerce and author of two volumes of her book, Memories of Weston. She played an active role in many other historical activities centered in Weston, including being an extra for the film Truman, and also starred in an episode of If These Walls Could Talk on HGTV. We think you'll understand after listening why Sandy Miller was such a treasure. These local historians really do have the good stuff, and they are the keepers of our history.
1: um founded in 1837 by a dragoon soldier from Fort Leavenworth who had just mustered out and um, he came across the river and there was a natural, where you go down Main Street of Weston, it's, it's just a natural pinnacle that comes in there and he thought it would be a good place for a town and um, he staked it out and went to Plattsburgh and filed his claim on it, and built a cabin uh, down by the river. And he wasn't uh, wasn't terribly industrious, though, and so it took uh, another man to really develop the town, and his name was Bella Hughes. And his father had been the Indian agent here for many years, so he was familiar uh, with the area. The town boomed, oh, practically overnight. Uh, Word went out to the southerners mainly because they knew they wanted this land. The soil in this area is very unique, very rare. Um, This has not actually been documented. It's just an old legend that's always been told here that the only other place with the same consistency of soil is in the river nile now i'm not i'm not stating that as a fact it's just an old legend But the ground is so rich here and uh, the dirt is is so black you pick it up and you can actually smell um, you know the dirt that especially down in the bottom lands you know. But the river uh... ran right at the foot of main street uh... what is now main street and as many as three hundred steamboats a year were docking at Weston. Um, I will tell you, in or eighteen forty-nine, I have seen uh, a copy of um, a Weston newspaper in eighteen forty-nine, and there were fifteen saloons advertised. Uh, we had a there was a brewery here, uh, very early on and the old brewery ground some of it has been restored is still here Um, but it was a wild wide open town and the fort leavenworth soldiers all came to weston to trade even some of the indians from the kickapoo village across the river they would come across in their boats and they would trade in downtown weston so it was it was quite the metropolis there are those who have say had the river and i will tell you about that had the river not changed its course that weston would have been the large city and kansas city probably would have remained relatively small and those of us who live here I'm kind of glad it happened because we kind of liked the little town. <laughs> but, yeah, he's a good friend of ours. Uh, Kirk lives in a very historic park where he lives, uh, just over the other side of the road. Um, some of the mooring rings are still down in there. You can't get to them anymore, but the river was right there. And where Kirk lives, um, that, well, that's the East Bluff Road (laughs) um, going out of town that the it kind of rounded and the river came in like this and where Kirk lives that was called Boarding House Row and all of the houses along there uh, were boarding houses Kirk believes his house was a boarding house with a tavern um, in the underneath part and um that's where when the steamboat docked, the very wealthy people went on up into town to the st george hotel and the uh, dance hall girls and the cooks on the boats and what have you they stayed on boarding house row uh, kirk i has found some fascinating things <laughs> in the in the Dirt in <laughs> under his house, <laughs> um, which makes him believe that. Uh, in fact, I have the whole history of his house in one of, in one of these books. When the Mormon battalion went through, by that time Weston was the second largest commercial port on the Missouri River, and that was second to St. Louis. Um. By eighteen fifty, there were five thousand people here. 5,000, 1,700. <laughs> and yeah, well, there the town. I mean, it boomed, it prospered. Um, it, with it booming as quickly as it did, it also brought uh, people from the north. The um, Southerners were hemp and tobacco growers, and the hemp, of course, was used to make rope. It was very profitable because they had slaves to do their labor. Um, it's another reason Missouri was so attractive to them. It was fertile soil, it was cheap land, and they could bring their slaves this far north because, of, of course, of, because of the Missouri Compromise. But actually, I got a little bit ahead of my story there. Um, In the 1840s and 50s, when Weston was developing, um, a man named Benjamin Holliday, who is known in American history as America's king of transportation, uh, he invented the Concord Stagecoach, and I'm sure you've all seen one in the movies, uh, but he invented that. He was um, the mortgage holder on the Pony Express buildings in St. Joe. And when the Pony Express went defunct, he foreclosed on everything that they owned from here to California. And he turned it all into the Overland Stage Lines. Eventually, the Overland Stage Lines was sold to Wells and Fargo. So I often say that indirectly, one of the still one of the largest companies in the country started here. <laughs> and but anyway, Benjamin was he was a very industrious young man. He was only sixteen when he came here. And he is our main connection with the Mormons when uh, the Mormons eventually were exiled into Utah. He saw this as an opportunity. Um, He was a vast speculator, and so he saw this as an opportunity to start a freighting business. And he and a man named Theodore Warner, who actually backed him with cash, uh, started a freight business. Theodore Warner was the great-grandson of Daniel Boone, And that's another whole story (laughs) for five generations that that family remained in Weston. But anyway, Benjamin traveled uh, to Utah, and he met with Brigham Young, and he gained his confidence, and came back here and started uh, shipping freighting supplies to Utah, and they practically became millionaires just from that venture because then they branched off, you know, into um, into other areas and freighting for other people and freighting for the government. And uh, Benjamin Holliday <clears throat> long about, well, when things started to heat up here, <laughs> he just kind of said, I've, I've had enough and I'm going to move on. And so he, he moved on. And he uh, invented um, and actually I can I am sorry to say I cannot remember the name of it right this second, but it was a streamlined um, not a steamboat it was more streamlined and he was the first to introduce those and then went on to other ventures and lived all over the world and and uh, Uh, He eventually uh, landed in Oregon, and he had been a billionaire, and when he died, he was penniless, and he is buried in in Oregon. But he is our strongest connection to the Mormons. Um, Weston itself, while we do have one line of documentation about the Mormon battalion that went through in 1846, there is very little else. That's just about all we have. We have Mormon history all around us. St. Joe had the Stringite Mormons. Um, Liberty of course the Mormons were there and John Donovan who actually had started out in Weston as a lawyer and then moved over into Clay County. He championed the Mormons and allowed them to form the town of Far West, which is just a few miles um, from Liberty. And and I know you know far more about this than I do. (laughs) Uh The governor of Missouri, the Confederate governor of Missouri. (laughs) Yeah, and John Donovan um, saved him. really i didn't know about atchison i have not ever heard about atchison and joseph smith but john donovan and joseph smith is a is a well-documented story and yeah he refused and eventually um, convinced uh the go- you know the missouri government the state government to form a county called caldwell And then this little town of Far West was established there, and they weren't supposed to step foot out of the county. They weren't supposed to step one foot out of those county lines. Uh, I just recently found that. Um, But here we have all this Mormon history all around us, but in Weston we... We just really don't have any to speak of other than we do know the battalion marched down Main Street, and that came from when John Donovan was a very, very old man. He wrote a letter to the Weston Chronicle, and we have a copy of that letter. And in it, he writes one-liners of different things that he remembers taking place in Weston, and that's one of the things that he remembered and it's just one line <laughs> and it, it doesn't tell a whole lot more so we are, um, really don't have a tremendous amount of, of uh, Mormon history here I wish we did and now I'm going to keep digging now I've become intrigued so <laughs> we just yeah it's got to be it's so like I said I've become I've become more intrigued now so um, Well, now, I do know that on the Kansas side, and this is from working with another family on their history, in Wyandotte County, what is now Wyandotte County, there were many Mormons. And there was a Delaware Indian chief, and his name was Chief John Ketchum. And I, the Ketchum family, who still lives in Utah, are trying to prove that they are of Indian descent. And so in scouting and digging around, I found this, and Ketchum was an Indian who eventually ended up, he was highly respected by the white people as well as by the Indians, particularly by the Mormons. Somewhere in there, um, his son, we're not sure yet, <laughs> whether it was his son or a grandson who married a Mormon woman and they moved to Utah and evidently he disguised the fact that he was an Indian. Um, but I anyway. That's that. That's another story. That's another family story that I've been digging around trying to help these people with. But um, so we do know that they were. I do know I'm just from reading recently that they were in you know the in Wyandotte County. So they, they had to have been in Leavenworth, and and they had to have been here. There had to have been some. Um, but as yet, I have not uncovered it, in there's two of us who do a lot of digging into Weston's history, and uh, my cohort hasn't uncovered much either, other than the, our letter that John Donovan wrote. Everything that you would need to survive uh, was downtown. Yeah, In fact, even up into the 1970s, everything you needed was in downtown Weston. I mean, there were grocery stores, mercantiles, and drugstores, and there were doctors, and there were lawyers, and um, some of the buildings um, would have one form of business on the lower floor and another form on the top floor, and then, and then some of them, the merchant had his store on the lower floor and his living quarters on the top floor, and um, so there was everything, everything that you would, could ever need was in downtown, there were um, uh, grain business, you know, the blacksmith, just, um, it was the hub of Platte County. So that's why it grew so quickly, because, you know, everybody came here, and clear into the 1970s it was the hub of Platte County, believe it or not, um, into the early 1970s. Everybody came to Weston to shop, and all the people from the country came to Weston. A flood in 1881, when the waters receded, the river was two miles away against the Kansas Bluffs, so we lost the steamboat traffic. And, but the railroad had already gone through, so that was some salvation. And most of the people left, and the population declined to around 900 people. But those were 900 very wealthy. Farmers. They owned this good, rich land, and they weren't going anywhere. And two, by the end of the Civil War, they had stopped growing hemp because they couldn't afford the labor. The rope-making was so intense, and so they couldn't, you know, they no longer had slaves, so they couldn't afford the labor. And then that's when they started concentrating on tobacco, and which it remained um, the largest cash crop here actually up until just a few years ago. But it is, of course, changing now. Weston and Leavenworth, our histories are so closely connected. I mean, with all the original problems after the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed, um, that brought a a togetherness of sorts. And then once uh, Kansas was to become a state, Thirty-two businessmen from Weston went over and founded the city of Leavenworth. So there's a a lot of interaction back and forth that has lasted, you know, clear to the present. Um, I was telling Denny earlier that um, up until about the 1970s, Cushing Hospital in Leavenworth was the closest hospital to Weston and everybody went there to have their babies. So a lot of Weston natives (laughs) were actually born in (laughs) Leavenworth in Cushing Hospital. Um, The military, um, you know, that had a, and we still have a lot of military folks in Weston. Yeah, there were a lot of people who, you know, came and went from the fort. Um, It's like right now when the new students come in um, at the fort, and then some of the older ones go out, and some of them are still stationed here, and so forth, for various reasons. Uh, we have several people living in Weston who actually are, I guess you could say, temporary, uh, because they're with the military, and eventually they will move. So there was uh, there was a lot of that. But it was mainly, back in those early days, these families, you know, uh, it was so close. I mean, it's only seven miles, and Back in the early days, the families were moving back and forth. Or someone who lived in Weston who discovered a business opportunity in Leavenworth, he moved over. Or maybe somebody in Leavenworth who had a better opportunity over here, he moved over here. So um, the, the, the histories are very closely connected. And there are a lot, I have relatives all over Leavenworth. Uh, There are a lot of families, uh, even today, that are still connected between Weston and Leavenworth.
0: Another tidbit you may not know is Dr. Sanderson of the Mooran Battalion had a home in Weston. We will show you a picture of it on the video version of this podcast.
1: Oh, Fort Leavenworth, if you have never... Oh, you should take your scouts through Fort Leavenworth. Oh, Fort Leavenworth is such a fabulous, fascinating place, I think. I think I lived there in a former life, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I did. (laughs) But all of the old buildings, you know, have all been preserved and are still being used. The only thing that is not still being used is the old prison, uh, the military prison, and they have built a new one. And. Uh, but so many of the old homes are there. You're you're right on the Missouri River. Oh, when you drive in, the view of the Missouri River is just oh, it's just spectacular. They have a wonderful museum there that gives you so much of uh, the military history and uh, a great deal of the early history of Leavenworth. Mostly military, and it's it's fascinating what they have in that museum. Um, Oh, yes, yeah, it's, uh, if I had to live on an army post, I I can't imagine one that could be any nicer than Fort Leavenworth is, it is just beautiful, yeah, it's, it's just, it is just phenomenal, (laughs) but it it, it is just absolutely phenomenal over there, Uh, I never get tired of going through the fort, the old stables are there. Um, And and like I said, there's just such a strong connection even between, you know, the fort was established in 1827. Weston was established in 1837. The town of Leavenworth was not founded until 1856. So for many years, this was the only town the Fort Leavenworth soldiers had. And they ferried back and forth, like I told you earlier, to come over here and trade but they also came over here for entertainment. Um, we still have a building standing downtown today that was called Metier Hall. And it was just, in the early days, just almost exclusively for the soldiers. And the orchestras would play, and the soldiers would bring their wives and, um, and come across the river. So it's, um, I was telling Denny earlier, there is a road that, I don't know if you'll be going on that road or not. The levee does go across there. That when you're on 45 Highway and you turn right onto this road, people are not allowed to go down in there any longer because the old prison grounds are there. That used to be the only way to get into Leavenworth from this side. And the bridge, of course, is gone now. But you would go across that bridge and into Fort Leavenworth to get into the city of Leavenworth. So we're just, we're really tied (laughs) together, the two towns are. I'm telling you, the only way they got in was that bluff road. I'm just sure of it. (laughs) Well, you know, I told you there's an upper road, too, that you can, and they may have, because if you could, could get up in there now, you can't, you no longer can get up there, but there are wagon ruts up there. I still just cannot imagine they did not come along that bluff road. Just well the Bluff or was there then that was the River Bluff and we have uh, drawings showing that road we have, well the mural in the back of the museum shows that road in 1850 and that's not a artist's rendition that's in the back of the museum that actually was uh, yeah, and, and was drawn by a, well, That's it's that big, huge mural that's back there, but it was drawn by a German artist. And that road shows, and that's in 1850, um, that painting shows that road. But like I said, there is another upper road that is all grown up now. And you remember, we walked up there and we found the wagon runs up there. So that's very possible it was even up there. <laughs> and now you can. Oh, there are a gazillion trees grown up over it now. But as we've hiked, we don't do it anymore. But we used to before our hair turned gray. We <laughs> we used to hike up in those bluffs all over them, and we were constantly looking for you know rock foundations and whatever little tidbits that we could find, or anything that looked like a road. or um, Actually when you get down on the east side, now where you're going to go to where the ferry went, uh, there is an upper road up in the top of that part of the bluffs as well, and we've actually been on it. I mean, there are so many. <laughs> So many things about Weston's history. I mean, does anybody have any questions or anything you're particularly interested in? Yes, Buffalo Bill Cody was uh, a little boy in Weston. His uh, mother and father owned a hotel in Leavenworth, and his father was uh, anti-slavery, and he had given a speech uh, in Leavenworth, and he was shot and severely wounded and his mother, fearing for his safety, brought him across the river to Weston to stay with his uncle Elijah Cody. And the store where Cody uh, did his trade business is still standing in downtown Weston. And it's on—it's now an antique store, and it's on the corner of Main and Short Street. Um, and he actually was here until he went Uh, to St. Joe to become a Pony Express rider, and by then he was about 16. And his father eventually died of those wounds uh, in Leavenworth, but it was some time later. And so the town just grew and grew and grew. Well, a large amount of German people came here and developed the downtown area. They were not interested in having slaves. Most of them had left Germany to escape that sort of thing themselves. And so they weren't interested in slaves. And for many years, they lived together peacefully, (laughs) those who owned slaves and those who did not. Then in 1854, the government said, we're going to pass the Kansas-Nebraska Act, And these two states will be given the choice to vote as to whether they want to become a slave state or not. The slave owners on the Missouri side just absolutely went crazy because they had a lot of money invested in their slaves. And, of course, as far as they were concerned, they were not people... And all a slave was going to have to do was swim seven miles across that river, and he would be free if Kansas was to become a free state. And this is what started the Missouri-Kansas border war. That war, which is not one, of course, that was ever declared, but it went on for ten years prior to the Civil War. And a great deal of what you read in the history books about the Missouri side of the situation actually happened in Weston, and we have that documented. And in in a lot of the history books, many times it will say Weston, but more often it will say Northwest Missouri, uh, Platte County, Missouri, or it will say across the river from Fort Leavenworth. So very often we're disguised in the history books, but we do have a great deal of documentation as to what took place here. And there were there were two groups. There were the, the pro-slavers, and they were called the Platte County Self-Defensives. And those who were against the violence and against slavery, they were the law and order group. And there were so many street battles, uh, backyard battles, people that uh, really went through a great deal of suffering um, long before, like I said, long before the Civil War actually started. And when Lawrence, Kansas, was burnt to the ground, um, about half of the group who took part in the burning took off from downtown Weston. And the man who was leading them, his name—he was Senator David Atchison—and he was he was leading the pro-slavery pack, and he was determined that Kansas would become a slave state. And when the uh, it finally came about for them to vote, he took five hundred platt Countyans over to Kansas to pose as Kansas residents, and to vote in favor of slavery. Later, the deception was discovered, and a group from Leavenworth came over here. Actually, Leavenworth wasn't there yet, but a group from the Kansas side came over here and burnt down half of downtown Weston. And it was on the east side of the street, and if you go in the basements of those buildings, you can still see the char on the bricks where they had burnt so severely but, of course, were rebuilt. Um, so things got things got pretty bad here during that time. And um, during the Civil War, we had both factions here, uh, pro and anti, and Again, the backyard battles continued, but Weston was occupied by Union troops from Fort Leavenworth, so they kept a pretty tight rein on the people. And if you got out and fussed too much as a Southern sympathizer, they simply put you in jail, and they took you over to the you know took you over to the fort and put you in jail. <laughs> and a lot of people who were Southern sympathizers, the Union soldiers would go through the neighborhoods and demand that they had to fly an American flag in front of their house, and they protested, but nonetheless, it, they managed to keep order here, and we, the only battle, Civil War battle that we had here is at the Bee Creek grounds over on Highway 273, and it was a very small battle, and that is actually the only official Civil War battle that took place here the backyard battles were they were horrendous <laughs> this and I don't know how well you all can see from where you're at this is a picture of Weston and this is in 1880 and pretty much what it was looking like you know in the, in the 1850s and the 60s um and you can see that, and this is just Main Street, um, but the buildings were lining, you know, both sides of the street, and then the side streets, which now are residential for the most part, there were many that back in those days they had businesses, um, uh, that went, you know, all the way, all the way up to Washington Street, and, um, and that has changed now. But, uh, it was It was very, very prosperous, had a lot of heartache, had a lot of good, <laughs> and ended up a pretty neat little town when oh, all the dust settled. Um, I was telling you a while ago about uh the Daniel Boone descendants uh, who lived here, and Theodore Warner was great grandson. he brought his mother and his three sisters to Weston when uh, His father died in independence, and five more generations of that family all lived in the same, they all lived in the same house, generation after generation. And for many years, it was a tour home, and everything that family had ever owned was in that house. Well, it's now all housed at the Lindenwood University in in the... Femi Osage Valley near St. Louis, but James Price married into this family, and James Price was um, the second cousin of Robert E. Lee. During the Civil War he fought for the Union, and he was a Union officer here in Weston, and there were people every day who threatened to kill him, you know, to hang him and and he was a traitor to his family, and so forth and so on. <laughs> and actually, I me mean, using the words a while ago when the dust settled reminded me of Colonel Price. When the dust settled and the war was over, he eventually became mayor of the town. But uh, during, uh, during those war days, there was just somebody who threatened to kill him every day you know, because he, they felt he was on the wrong side. And here he was, the second cousin of Robert E. Lee, that that whole, and that whole family is buried in Laurel Hill Cemetery. Did you go up and visit the cemetery? Oh, it's fascinating. But now this Price is not related to Sterling Price, governor. Yeah, different Price family. Well, James, James Price was forever estranged from his family. After, um, I'm not sure he ever, I don't think he ever saw them again um, after the Civil War ended. He eventually was accepted here, but he, was, he he remained estranged from his family for the rest of his life. Hmm. You know, there were so many families, it, actually that was commonplace, you know, I mean, families that were torn apart by the Civil War, um, I mean, you had brothers who one was for one side and one was for the other, and it was you know such a such a horrible war, and remains today more Americans killed in that war than any other since, being that both sides were Americans. It was such a sad thing. It was very very sad for this area uh, during that time, and prior prior was really worse here than than the Civil War days were. But, yeah, Colonel Price, his family went, huh. (laughs) They never had anything to do with him again. Well, I mean, there are, you know, I don't want to bore you. (laughs) There are a million stories about about Weston. Um, Where to stop and start is debatable if there aren't any questions. Um, You did ask me something about the downtown that I did mean to tell you a while ago, that the buildings downtown um, were all built with slave labor. And uh, most of the bricks are the old, soft brick. And every now and then, you know, you'll see pieces of horsehair still work out of those bricks because they used horsehair in the making of them. And many of the homes in Weston were built with slave labor that are still standing and you know people are living in today. But all of downtown was built with slave labor. I meant to tell you that a while ago when you asked me about downtown. Well, you're welcome and I again I hope I didn't bore anybody. Um